And it's telling that story, giving that data, showing that data to our legislators so that we can meet that need and overcome that gap that's only been exacerbated throughout the pandemic. Where before the pandemic started back in, in 2020, we had 270,000 nurse practitioners in the U.S. Now we're at 355,000. So we grew at a rate of 9% last year alone. We are definitely, as nurses, stepping up to meet that need. And that is what we have done for decades. Our profession, nurses have stepped up to meet critical needs in healthcare. And this is one of those avenues where nurse practitioners have stepped up to do that and, and increase access to care. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Rosa Donato, And I'm Marian Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a pen nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Amplify Nursing features nurses who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm. Today on the Amplify Nursing podcast, we talk with Dr. April Kapu, President of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. Through her 30 years of experience in healthcare and nearly two decades of work as an acute care nurse practitioner, Dr. Kapu has become widely renowned as an expert in advanced practice leadership and the development of health structure advanced practice infrastructure. Dr. Kapu talks with us about how full practice authority for nurse practitioners increases access to care, utilizing technologies to provide better education, and the importance of collaboration between nurses and advocating for the profession as a whole. April, thank you so much for coming to speak with us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Great to be here today. We really appreciate it. Why don't we start with, how about you tell us how you got into nursing? Well, it's a long story. I could probably talk all day, but I think for all of us, we have a varied pathway to where we are and where we um, really feel that we've really hit our niche. And in nursing, I've been able to take so many opportunities, but I actually grew up in a home where my mom uh, worked with nursing homes. So I spent a lot of time as a kid falling behind my mom. So I knew at some point I would go into healthcare. I ultimately went into nursing and I love ICU nursing. It's just, there's something about the procedures and the equipment. And I just really love, you know, those patients and, 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 but I really love spending time with the, with the patients and families. Um, because if you can imagine the ICU is a pretty scary place sometimes. And this was an opportunity to really talk through what's happening um, with their surgery or with their illness so that they can feel a little bit more comfortable and understanding what all's happening. I worked with a lot of great NPs in my ICU, much like you all have there, University of Pennsylvania. And I um, uh, wanted to be an NP. So I went on to be an NP, an acute care NP, and went into critical care as an NP. But I worked in the ICU for a couple of years. And then our hospital, I, I worked at Vanderbilt Hospital. That's where I've spent most of my career in Nashville. Uh, we built a critical care tower and it doubled our numbers of critical care beds. And we had a really good NP program in the CVICU where I worked. And so I 
was promoted to a position to direct NP and PA practice for Vanderbilt for the critical care units. And so we built out critical care teams in all of our ICUs, adult and pediatric. And still today, they're managing the COVID ICUs as well. And then I went on to uh, be more of an executive officer with Vanderbilt, overseeing advanced practice for the health system. That was in, uh, I did that in about around 2014. And I did that up until last summer, where I took over as president of AANP. I've been um, very engaged in AANP in many year, for many years and on the board for several years and then ran for president and um, was elected as president. And I moved into the president role last summer. And at the same time, I uh, moved over to a faculty role with Vanderbilt University School of Nursing. And I'm an associate dean there. And so I it just, it, it's just that typical pathway that you see with nurses, that there are different opportunities at different times in your career. And that's where I am today and absolutely love it. Absolutely love uh, supporting the nursing profession as a whole, um, but really, really love uh, supporting nurse practitioners. I've done that most of my career and now able to do that more on a national level. It seems as though the clinical experience that you have, you have so much to offer the NP community at large, given all of the clinical background that you have and your and your leadership trajectory through the health system. Yeah, we have an acronym that we use uh, with uh, the American Association of Nurse Practitioners in terms of how we support practice. And, and it's through, um, the acronym is PEARL, and it's Practice Education advocacy, research, and leadership. And we have a lot of programs uh, within each one of those categories. But I can say throughout my career, I have done a lot to develop my expertise in practice. Uh, certainly education, um, widely published and have presented quite a bit. Um, and then advocacy, the health policy work has just been so important to me. And then certainly um, as you all, and I have several colleagues at the University of Pennsylvania, so I've engaged in a lot of different research projects with them. So it's, it's really been an opportunity to really excel in all of those areas. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about advocacy. How do things look for MPs on the national stage versus on a state level for you? Well, it's really interesting. I just got back from... Dublin, the International Council of Nurses NPAPN conference. And it was really interesting to hear how advanced practice is growing and developing in countries around the world. But I was able to share a little bit more about what we're doing here in the United States. It was quite surprising that we, to, when you're explaining that you live in the United States and it's 50 different states, and not everybody understands that if they're from a different part of the world. That was kind of eye-opening to me um, as I explained that over the last 50 or 60 years, as we have developed the nurse practitioner profession in our country, we have established national standards for accredited education. We have and, and national standards for accredited education and training. And then we have national board certification uh, to practice in our area of advanced practice nursing. And then on top of that, we are licensed to practice. And so even though we have not national standards for, for education and training and, and board certification, 
which many professions don't even have that yet. But we, even though we have that, our state licensure is overseen by the, by the state. So our license to practice is overseen by the different states and every state is a little different. So that's kind of the conundrum, national standards, but then each state oversees our licensure authority to practice. In 26 states and DC, nurse practitioners are able to practice to the full extent of their education and training. In these states, we've seen an increase in the workforce, which you know that's a huge area of concern is a healthcare workforce. We've seen an improvement in patient care outcomes. These states are listed among the top in the nation in terms of patient care outcomes. And we've seen an increase in nurse practitioners working in all settings, but in particularly uh, working in rural settings, moving to rural settings, because now they have some barriers removed um, that they had previously had, and now they can work in more rural settings. So we've seen this. Uh, across the board with FPA states, when states move to full practice authority and they remove some of those outdated laws, those barriers that have been in place for 40 or 50 years, um, we have seen this improvement in healthcare, uh, increase in access to care, and more and more patients just having that ability to have a choice to see a nurse practitioner to have full and direct access to NP care. And we're seeing more and more people across the country choosing to see uh, NPs for their care, for their healthcare needs. Um, last year alone, we had over 1.06 billion visits to nurse practitioners in 2021, continued to just be among the most trusted, reliable uh, healthcare providers. And so when we start to talk about advocacy, our organization, AANP, which is a member-driven organization, is really focused on empowering NPs to practice to the full extent of their education and training and to be able to advance healthcare and to provide accessible and equitable healthcare for everyone, everywhere. I think that's fantastic. And I think that all of the research is showing that in places where nurses of all different kinds are able to practice to the full extent of their authority, access gets better for patients and, and outcomes also get better for patients. So what do you see, what are the big hills that you're, that you're working on this in your term as president, where are you focusing your um, energy to try and break down barriers? Well, I think we talked about one, and that is to improve access to care. And one of those ways is for us to advance full practice authority, where NPs in every state have the licensure authority to practice to the extent of their education and training. We've seen that that need only highlighted more and more throughout the last two and a half, three years throughout the pandemic. We've seen just tremendous gaps in access to care. Uh, today, there's over 96 million Americans that lack access to primary care health services. And nurse practitioners are stepping up to meet that need. And it's telling that story, giving that data, showing that data to our legislators so that we can meet and meet that need and, and, and overcome that gap that's only been exacerbated throughout the pandemic. 
where um, before the pandemic started back in, uh, you know, 2019, 2020, we had 270,000 nurse practitioners in the U.S. Now we're at 355,000. So we grew at a rate of 9% last year alone. We are definitely, as nurses, stepping up to meet that need. And that is what we have done for decades. Our profession, nurses have stepped up to meet critical needs in healthcare. And this is one of those avenues where nurse practitioners have stepped up to do that and, and increase access to care. So that is a big platform. It's very important. Um, we have federal agendas that are, are very important that also lead to access to care. For example, there has been a barrier that has been in place for many years that just is makes no sense because there's no risk to this barrier and there's several of those, but on a federal level, and you've probably heard of this, and that is that nurse practitioners cannot place an order for, for diabetic shoes, for therapeutic shoes, for a patient that has diabetes that the nurse practitioner has been seeing for years, they cannot place an order for diabetic shoes. That patient has to make an appointment and go and see a physician that they may or may not know in order to get assessed and to get diabetic shoes. So if you can imagine how long that could potentially take to go through that process and the redundancy that's there, and ultimately, hopefully the patient will get their shoes, but how important those are in their overall treatment. And yet we have these barriers in place to getting a vital service. That's just one example, being able to uh, place an order for cardiac and pulmonary rehab. That's, I mean, that's my background as an ICU NP. This is what we do is coordinate services of care. And this is a very important uh, care need for many people. And again, we have to make an appointment or the patient has to make an appointment and go through all that process to ultimately get these vital rehabilitation services. So those are just a couple of examples where you could probably see how 50, 60, 70 years ago, that might have made sense. But now has we, as we have evolved in healthcare and we now provide these services as advanced practice nurses, which we've been educated and trained to do, we need to update these laws. So I know those types of things, whenever I share those examples, people say, wow, what? And it's, it's a matter of updating the laws. And so that's what's happening on a federal level is anything we can do to empower the NP to practice to the full extent of their education and training, to improve patient care outcomes. We are looking at that and, and, and how that can better impact access to care. So that's one of the things. Um, in terms of my presidency, I have a lot of things that I'm really interested in, um, but I am very interested in giving back to our profession, and that is to really invest in our next generation of nurse practitioners. Uh, which is one of the reasons I have, you know, my now my next step is to be more in academics and education, because I think this is very important that we give back, that we invest in our educators, in our preceptors, and that we really make sure that our system is as good as it can be to support all of those nurses that really want to choose or they would like to choose this pathway in nursing. So I spend a lot of time uh, speaking with students and traveling to different universities and speaking with their faculty and students to hear what all is happening out there and what they're doing, but also to share all of the different benefits 
the AAMP has to offer students and certainly talk more about the future and preparing for the future. So there's a couple of things. There's a lot more I could talk about. We just continuing to improve our offerings for NPs, practice tools. We have amazing conferences, online uh, education, as well as in-person uh, for continuing education. We've got a lot of different research projects going on. We offer great uh, leadership development programs for our NPs, just a lot of opportunity to network and really invest in their own professional growth and development. Yeah, one I feel like one of the benefits of the pandemic was the ability to really start using technology to reach out to people. And it's one of the things that we've been able to do in our state and uh, nurse anesthesia organization is to be able to reach out and offer We've been able to offer so much more in terms of education to our constituents because we just started using Zoom versus creating, you know, a symposium and things like that. So with a with an increase of nurse practitioners by, like you said, almost 10% over the course of the last year, what is the investment you're putting in education, in nurse practitioner education moving forward? That's got to be a really big challenge. Yeah, well, and it's and it's only been uh, the need for nurse practitioners is continuing to grow. I think it's really interesting that we've, I mean, it, we've had this horrific pandemic in our lifetime, and uh, we've learned a lot. I think healthcare has learned a lot. We learned a lot where our gaps were in workforce and things like that. But we also had some opportunities to explore things that we weren't as familiar with. And I, I'm speaking on behalf of myself right now, and that is technology. Um, I really learned so much more about telehealth and providing care uh, via telehealth. I learned and, and what can be done. And certainly through our, our association, we provide continuing education for practicing in peace. But what can we do? Can we offer more of our conferences in a hybrid format where they're online as well as in person? So, I mean, this will never change. We've really explored technology formats that actually have enhanced our ability to reach uh, nurse practitioners as well as people. And I think everybody's learned how to balance working from home and where we just see a lot that's changed in our society as we have been pushed into this technology that many of us were not as familiar with. So telehealth has grown, virtual learning, um, you've seen the VR. In healthcare, you see more with telehealth, you also see more with AI. We're just really taking advantages of the innovation and the technology and the advancements to reach more people and to be able to provide better care. That has been exciting about education is how are we incorporating these new modalities into education and certainly evaluating that uh, for its effectiveness. Uh, I don't know of any uh, programs of any profession now, not just with nursing or nurse practitioners that don't incorporate that in-person learning along with that experiential patient learning along with simulation, which is more of a controlled environment for learning. Um, as well as any virtual learning that they can incorporate uh, so that that student is immersed in, in knowledge um, acquisition and, and learning many programs. And, and so we've certainly seen that happen with nursing and excited about it because it allows us to bring in more students and educate and train more so that we can really address some of these big workforce uh, demands 
that are out there today. Yeah, well, it certainly seems like your organization is working really hard to, to support that and to encourage growth of the profession. Do you see challenges, especially when you're considering that many nurse practitioners are working, like, as you said, more in rural areas, are you having a hard time recruiting people for those areas? And what are some of the things that you are doing to encourage that? The FPA that we talked about, the full practice authority has a big impact on uh, whether or not there's a barrier to practice. So uh, it, when you work in more of a hospital setting and a, a setting where you have a lot of different healthcare providers, it's a little bit easier to practice collaboratively and, 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 and work on a day-to-day basis with a lot of different people. When you start to think about working in a rural area, if you're in a restricted state that does not have the licensure authority to, for an NP to practice the full extent of their education and training, then it makes it very difficult for an NP to move to a more rural area. Not because the NP is not collaborating and referring and coordinating care, just like they always have been. Uh, Some of these restrictions are more limiting. So I can give you an example of Tennessee, and I'm sure you have examples there with Pennsylvania. But in Tennessee, the nurse practitioners are required to have a collaborative agreement. That collaborative agreement comes with a fee. And if you're more in a hospital health system setting, it's a little bit easier to set up those collaborative agreements if the physicians are willing to do that and you're able to pay for that. But when you're in a rural setting, you have less, many physicians don't want to go to those rural settings to do site visits. They, um, they charge really high amounts to have that chart review done that's required by the state that retrospective chart review, and many of the NPs can't afford that. It, those types of things can be very limiting. And so that's why we've seen in the full practice authority states where an NP can work in a practice in a rural area, they're still very collaborative, they refer, they have a wonderful network, but they are able to practice there and see patients of all types, Medicare, Medicaid, uninsured, um, really um, having that supportive environment from the state allows for them to do that. And so that's why we've seen more NPs moving to those rural areas in uh, FPA states. I can give you a great example in Nebraska, they moved to full practice authority in 2014. And we follow all of these states and, and their data when they move. But when they moved to full practice authority, five years later, their college of nursing, uh, the University of Nebraska Medical Center, that college of nursing, looked back at their workforce, increase in the overall NP workforce, an increase in NPs working in provider shortage areas. In fact, they saw 20 of the historically provider shortage, designated shortage areas change because NPs were able to now work in those areas. We're talking about tribal clinics. We're talking about schools skilled nursing facilities, rehab centers, correctional facilities, community centers. We're talking about all throughout these states, there are many, many opportunities to have an NP practicing in that community in in different settings. And why wouldn't we do that? I wanted to share during the pandemic, uh, there were many states that put executive orders in place. And these executive orders essentially relieved some of these outdated restrictions. We certainly had executive orders in place in Tennessee. And 
this was a great opportunity. It was a window of opportunity for many of these restrictive states to see that nurse practitioners practice very well. They have excellent patient outcomes. We have decades and decades of, of, of studies that have demonstrated our outcomes. You all have put out a lot of great studies there at University of Pennsylvania um, that have shown what we can do. But here's an opportunity to show it in real time in a, in a time of great need. And four states actually moved to full practice authority because they essentially said, this, this makes a lot of sense. We want to increase access to care and people want to see NPs. And so we saw Massachusetts and Delaware and, and Kansas and New York all move to full practice authority. And yet there were some states that retired those executive orders and went back to those restrictive practices with absolutely no evidence to do that. These are the kinds of things that don't make a lot of sense, but we will see move in time as we uh, continue to move forward and we continue to demonstrate our excellent outcomes and, and our abilities to really help fill these uh, critical access needs. Yes, I can, I can say for myself and the advocacy that I do with the Pennsylvania Association of Nurse Anesthetists that it's, it can get really frustrating to try and explain to people who are making the decisions the outcomes that we have. As you said, we have decades of data that shows that, you know, the care is good, the care is comparable. And it's frustrating that there, you know, are outside forces that are blocking the progress in the name of profit, actually, is what it comes down to. And it, it gets it gets super frustrating. I'm glad to hear that so many of your states were able to maintain their executive orders and, and just transition into full practice. And that's really great to hear. And I think that we're starting to see a little bit more where people are, are kind of questioning medicine being the only endpoint for patient care in, instead of branching out to all of the other ancillary groups that participate in patient's care. And the, the idea that as professionals, as you stated earlier, we are self-limiting. We're not going to do things that we're not comfortable doing, that we're not trained to do, that we're not going to do well. We're going to refer to people who are going to do those things. It's not like nurses aren't generally cowboys running out there, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And, you know, that's part of being a professional is staying in, in what you are really, really good at. You know, yeah, for example, I mean, I was trained in, in cardiac anesthesia. I had to do that for school, but I would not be the one you would want to do your heart, but that's not something that I practice in every day. And, and it's, it's not my scope of practice. So I, I would calmly defer <laughs> because right. yeah, it's just not what you what you want to do. I think that's a great example. And even within our own advanced practice nursing, I mean, as CRNA and an NP, we're both advanced practice nurses. But we do very different things. I would not, um, you know, I'm, my background's in the CVICU. I would not jump into a CRNA role. It makes no sense. And um, so we are definitely very capable of, of doing what we were educated and trained to do. I think one of the other barriers that I tend to see in my advocacy work is that nurses don't tend to work together when we're trying to achieve a goal, we're sort of very siloed, you know, there's general nursing practice in general, and then there's, you know, outpatient versus inpatient, there's, you know, MPs versus CRNAs versus CNSs. 
and everybody's kind of focused on their, in their own little silo. What do you see as any advantages to all, you know, 5 million of us coming together as a group to advocate for nursing in general? I I think that would be wonderful. I think, you know, my whole background has been working with all types of nurses and all working together. And I said that that's my experience and my perspective. And as I have moved into the president role and served as president for AANP, it's been very important for me to forge strong uh, relationships, collegial relationships, but also friendships with the president of AANA and the president of um, the American Certified Nurse Midwifery Association, AAPA. Um, So not just within nursing, but other organizations to really collaborate. What can we do together? There are things that we do differently based on our specialty and our profession, but there are some things that we really uh, find to be very big similarities in where we're going. How can we get together on these and collaborate and move forward together? And that's not just limited to our nation, our, our national spectrum, we can do this internationally. Nurse anesthetists, nurse practitioners, clinical nurse specialists, certified nurse midwives, we can collectively pull together and then be part of our bigger profession of nursing. We could do this globally. Do you see big challenges with that? Because I, I realize that and you you may or may not be aware, but the World Health Organization last year, I think it was, put out a statement on maternity care and, you know, CRNAs were left completely out of it. And in the United States, you know, specifically in, in the area in Philadelphia, where I live, many of the CRNAs are the ones who do a lot of the maternity care. So, you know, how do you think that we could advance that globally? considering that nurses, it still, it still seems to be very patriarchal from a global standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. It's all of us coming together. Um, It's coming together and saying, what do we have that is in common? What do we have in common? We know we are, in our case, we're advanced practice nurses. We know that we know that we have in common, but what are the issues that we really want to stand together on? It's about coming together, establishing those relationships and coming together on a common agenda. I think that's where we need to go. And that's what's been really important to me in terms of meeting different um, officers of different organizations, different groups. Um, It's where where do we have some commonality? And then how can we use that as a platform to move forward? I think that's great. I think that's a great place to end. Is there anything that you want to add? I mean, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> I could talk all day. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, you know, I think, well, I think if I was to add anything, it's to really, how do we come together as a nation and update our laws so that we're all able to practice the full extent of our education and training, work together in healthcare to solve some of these big issues that we have. We're absolutely the ones to be at the table to do that. I mean, I, I'm looking at you. I mean, mm-hmm. we are, when you bring a nurse, an advanced practice nurse to the table to solve a problem, we are all in. So if we're talking about big issues like access to care and improving patient care outcomes, we're there and we're working 
to do what we can do to reach a solution. You know, we should be at the table and, and we're seeing more and more task force, federal task force, state task force, bringing uh, nurses and advanced practice nurses to the table. So I, I think we will get, we will reach a lot of these things we're working so hard for. We've shown over and over again that we have amazing outcomes. We've shown over and over again that people want to see NPs. Um, I, when I speak, uh, I, you know, I'm going to speak from my platform as an NP. I know people want to see NPs. It's a big change from 10, 15 years ago when people would say, well, what's a, what's an NP? And you'd have to explain that. Nowadays, it's, it's, I see an NP or a family member or a friend or a colleague. I, everybody has many people I speak to has an experience with an NP. And when I talk to them, I say, um, well, tell me about that. Tell me about your experience with, with your nurse practitioner. And it's funny because they, they won't always say, well, they have excellent patient care outcomes, or I, you know, I was able to get in to see them um, this week. I didn't have to wait six weeks. They don't tend to say that they all, I mean, it's nine times out of 10. The answer is they listen. They spend time with me. They listen. They know me personally. They know more about my social context, you know, what, what drives me to healthcare, what's important to me in healthcare. It's they listen. And I think that is really interesting that we have all this data out there and around access and patient care outcomes. But it all comes down to a very fundamental premise of our whole professional education and training. And I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's our philosophy of what we do, right? It's very person-centered. Listening with all of our senses is what we do so well as a profession. So that would be the only thing I would add, <laughs> certainly. Um, but it's been really nice uh, speaking with you. Hello, Angela. Hello, Marion. How are you? I am fabulous. I really enjoyed your conversation with April. Yes, it was a fantastic conversation. I was really, really impressed with her sense of leadership and advocacy for the nurse practitioner organization. Yeah, and I'll just say I am a huge fan of nurse practitioners, and especially nurse practitioners in critical care units. I was a medical ICU nurse for a very short period of time, and I don't think I would have made it through that experience without my nurse practitioner colleagues. So I like have all the all for them that there is to have. And the work that April is doing with her advocacy and education and clinical work is just really crucial to moving nurse practitioners forward. Agreed. And we really need leaders like April in nursing in general people who have an understanding of how important it is that we work together. You know, even though we're all doing different things in nursing, we're all nurses. And it's really, really important that we all work together to get what nursing as a profession needs, no matter what little silo that you fit in. And I think that when you talk about that critical care experience, because I had the same experience working in the ICUs at HUP, the nurse practitioners really pulled it all together. They were the bridge between nursing and all of the other disciplines 
and, you know, managing the care for the complex patients that were there. So I think that her experience in that arena really is a great experience to have, to have that overall leadership. Yeah. And it's so true. And then moving that out into the community and what April and you were talking about in terms of NP scope of practice and all of the different outcomes that are so much better when patients are working with NPs out in the community. And all of these things need to just move forward and all of these roadblocks and barriers, really, we need to advocate for them to go away. And that's what she's doing, right? And that's what the organization that she works with is doing. And I think it's just incredible work that's very much needed. This is what I was thinking when I was re-listening to that episode. You know, when you talk about all the data that we have, it's not really about the data. You know, you know what I mean? Like all of the data, if, we, if what we were focusing on was outcomes, then there would be no question. But it's so much more nuanced than that. It's so much more complicated than that. And I think really what it comes down to is we have to recognize that access to care isn't really the goal for our healthcare system. It's a, it's a for-profit healthcare system. So if access to care was really the goal, there would be no barriers, you know, and unfortunately that's kind of where we're at. And unless we, we recognize that and openly, you know, talk about that, it, none of it is ever going to change. If you could see me, I'm here snapping to your comment. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa Donato and Marion Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. With special thanks to Jonathan Zhu for his assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing podcast and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And if you can do us a solid, please rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.